Amen. You can be seated and we'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. There goes Mr. Brad, uh, Crenshaw. And as they're doing that, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3. If you're new with us today, we have been, uh, we started the book of Acts a couple weeks ago. I think this is our fourth uh, sermon in the book of Acts. And uh, we're basically going to try to cover a chapter um, per sermon. And we won't get everything out of it uh, by far, but we uh, we will take a stab at highlighting some of the significant themes that run through the book. And as we said before, Acts is uh, really a two-part series. The author of the Gospel of Luke, Luke is writing it. Um, And so uh, first you see the ministry of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And then you see in Acts, you see um, the power of God as uh, used through the the church, the Holy Spirit through the church. And um, so some incredible things have happened so far. Um, and if we're just jumping in, I want to kind of remind you a little bit about, sorry, my mic is kind of jacked up here. We've had all kind of crazy stuff with our electronics today. Good job, Christian, trying to hang in there. Like all the words disappeared from the computer like five minutes before we started. And he's like, wait, what is going on here? So we're just, uh, we'll do our best. Um, we're going to see today in Acts chapter 3, um, the first post-Jesus miracle invo- involving Peter and John healing a guy. And physical healing is not new here. It appears throughout the book of Acts some 14 times in 12 of the 28 chapters, the Holy Spirit and his power, the power of God through the Holy Spirit, using people filled by the Holy Spirit, are going to heal people. Again, this is not new. We see this in the life of Jesus In my study this week, I found 27 different individuals that Jesus healed, 10 different times where he healed. He healed whole groups of people physically. And then, as you remember, Jesus died in our place, and three days later, his body was healed, even from death. He spent 40 days on the earth with his disciples in a body that was recognizable, but evidently different, very different, as some people didn't recognize him until he did some common practice, like breaking of bread or praying with them. And as he was leaving on the Mount of Ascension, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, also known as the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And now in the first few chapters of Acts, we've seen the Holy Spirit come. And with his coming, bring power to enable the church to assemble in unity, enable them the power to love others unconditionally, enable them the power to be incredibly generous, even to strangers, the power to do miraculous things, the power to preach the good news of Jesus with boldness and courage again and again, and we're going to see that again in today's text, and the power to heal. Now again, Acts 3 is the first instance of physical healing after Christ left, and some scholars say if you can understand this miracle, if you can understand the four basic components of this miracle, it's going to help you understand all the other miracles that we're going to see through the book of Acts. So we're going to walk through those today. The miracle shows you how God feels about suffering in the world, what he's doing about it. It shows us what he's saying to us in the midst of our suffering, and it shows us as the church what our mission in the world is. Let me recap the story real quick that Dave read, and then I want to read the rest of the chapter. I know it's a lot, but um, basically Peter's sermon. The story begins with Peter and John about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 
headed to the temple. That was their custom, that they prayed in the morning, they prayed in the afternoon, they had evening prayers as well. So they're going into the temple, as was their custom. And there's this irony of this layman whose life was in no way beautiful, actually sitting at the gate called Beautiful. Scholars say this gate was probably more beautiful than the others. This one was covered with uh, Corinthian bronze. And it was typical for uh, people who could not earn a living to sit at gates such as these. And uh, the parishioners, as they were walking into the temple, it was a, uh, a valuable thing in their society that they would, they would drop uh, alms or a few pennies into the cups of these people who were begging. It's likely that this man had been at this gate all of his life. Being born lame in that society, um, in a society that thought that disability was likely caused by your parents' sins, it was a difficult life for him, this lame man. And he's healed in a pretty radical way, which leads to this incredible opportunity for Peter to preach the gospel to them and to us today. Now, we don't have time. We're not going to dive into all of Peter's sermon here as far as Um, exegeting it for us or explaining it, but I encourage you to read it several times. Matter of fact, I encourage you to read a chapter of Acts every day. That's what we've been doing, and I encourage you to do this as we started this. Um, Just kind of my basic discipline, I'm not saying you have to copy this, but I try to read a Proverbs in the morning and an Acts in the evening, and uh, and it's just unique, and you see these themes again and again, the power of God released to the church. You see this theme of proclaiming the gospel. You see this theme of this is something that God is doing. Even in the next chapter, Peter and John are going to be arrested because of this, and, and these, uh, these professionals are going to get together and say, aren't these just ordinary men? Isn't it amazing that they're speaking with such boldness? And it wasn't because of their education. It was because the Holy Spirit had empowered them in the same way the Holy Spirit desires to empower his church today. Tim Keller gives us these directions. He was very helpful for me in uh, studying uh, this week as he's written several books on this subject. But he says, if we understand these four directions of this miracle, we'll understand miracles just in general. And the four directions are upward, forward, inward, and outward. Let me read the rest of the passage and then we will, uh, we will join together in kind of discussing it. In verse 11... Let's pick up. While he clung to Peter and John, this is the lame man that had just been healed, all the people, people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Solomon's portico was just kind of just right next to the temples where people would gather on pretty much a daily basis. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Now remember, this is the second big sermon of Peter. This is doubting Peter that you remember that denied Christ and was restored over the uh, fish breakfast that morning. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. When you delivered him over and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. Man, that is a bold statement. Isn't he looking at these people? Talk about not mincing words. Whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know 
And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, and so did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him, also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's look at the first few verses of chapter 4 to see what happened. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Peter has come a long way, hasn't he, from the days of denying Christ multiple times and through his restoration. If you know much about Peter, as you read through the Gospels, all the times that he just said the wrong things, even one time being compared to Satan by Jesus. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a mess up. He's been restored, and God is using him to proclaim this phenomenal gospel. And we could really walk away from this story just in the same way with the application to us being that God wants to use you. Despite all your past failures, all the times that you mess, all the times that we still mess up. This is not about Peter. This is about the availability of Peter and all of his weaknesses being made strong through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to use you in a very similar way. Here are the directions that we're going to talk about this morning, first upward. That this healing of this lame man points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. His authentication of Jesus here is this, um, Peter saying it over and over, hey, this is not about us, this is about God who sent Jesus. It says it in verse 6, in the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse 16, in his sermon, he says, and by his name, and then there's, Maybe in your translation, it isn't mine, a dash on either side. This emphasis of Peter, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. These miracles do point us upward. Miracles were God's validation of the apostles. It was God's validation of even Jesus, as Jesus would do these incredible miracles. The writer of Hebrews says our great salvation in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2. Our great salvation was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to 
us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, pointing to God. It was not pointing to the apostles. It was not pointing to Peter. It was not pointing to Stephen. It was not pointing to these people who were doing it. All of the miracles were meant to point to God. Miracles were God's way of saying, this is really me. It was like a divine signature that could not be forged. Now, this doesn't mean that that's the way the universe normally works, but God surrounded the ministry of Jesus with miracles. He surrounded the ministry of the early church with miracles, and he still does miracles today, authenticating the message. There's really no other explanation for the events besides that. And just as an aside, It says even in chapter 2 that many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Tongues, fire, healing. God was attesting to their proclamation of the gospel by these signs and wonders. And it was asked even of me, does God still do those things today? And to answer that question, I would say yes. But we have to acknowledge that God was doing unique things during this time. As an example, regular tongues of fire don't appear above new believers as they did in Acts 2. As a matter of fact, if I see a, you know, a pillar of fire above your head, I'm going to try to put it out. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm going to think your hair's on fire. You got too close to the candles and we need to deal with this. The sound of wind doesn't routinely blow through our services. Acts 4, it says when they were pray- praying, the whole place was shaking like the pillars were shaking. I'd have a lot of explaining to Howard Davis, the headmaster here, if the pillars just started shaking and, you know, were loose. Peter healed on demand. He didn't pray about it or ask God for it. He just says, hey, buddy, look at me. Be healed. So God is doing some unique things, certainly. But by Acts 15, we already see this fading. Many times Paul mentions having to leave behind some of his traveling companions because they were getting sick, as if Paul you know, couldn't heal them. We see that uh, with uh, Epaphroditus in Philippians 2 and 2 Timothy 4 with Trophimus. Again and again, we kind of see this begin to fade. Now, having said that, the miracles are there to point to Jesus. And I believe wholeheartedly that God does do miracles still today. And we pray for that. If you invite me over, even as James says, if you're sick, then you invite the elders over and we anoint you with a little you know, um, French fry oil. We don't have any special oil, but we'll do that and we'll be glad to pray for you. And I have seen with my own eyes, God heal people. But sometimes he doesn't use those means. And again, this is not up to me. This is not up to you. This is up to God and all his sovereignty of all things whom he chooses to empower through the Holy Spirit to heal at those certain times. But a lot of people get hung up on the miracles and they miss Jesus here. They get hung up on just debating the fact of the miracles. The point is to point to Jesus. If you're looking for a solid resting place for your faith, it's not in this miracle, it's in Jesus. And it's when you encounter him, when you see his character and his beauty, that's when you really become convinced. In Acts 4, down Uh, we're going to study this next week in verse 29. I think I have this up here for you. And now, this is their prayer. After all this had happened, they've been arrested. They've been told not to say anything. They get kicked back out. And Peter and John and the church begin to pray that God would do it again. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The miracles point upward to Jesus again and again to the power of God. This is not to make Peter and John something special. As a matter of fact, you see that even in the sermon. He said, listen, this is not us. We're just fishermen. I mean, just a few months ago, we couldn't even, we were bad fishermen. We couldn't even catch a fish until Jesus showed up and said, hey, why don't you cast to the other side? So let me ask you the same thing that Peter asked this group down in his sermon in verse 23. Verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet will be destroyed. Let me ask you this question. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? Not have you come to faith through Jesus as if that's the, that's the starting point and the ending point, but are you listening to him? Because walking with Jesus is what it means to be a Christian. It's this relationship the Holy Spirit inside of you illuminate the, illuminating the face of Jesus and Jesus in Scripture pointing to the heart of God for us. Are you listening to him? Are you listening to the promptings of the Spirit as he leads you into ministry? Are you listening to him? Second direction is the direction forward. It was first upward. The glory is to God. The second is forward to the future restoration of all things. Peter says that this healing is a sign of the coming restoration of all things that God had promised. This healed man literally leaped. What does it say in verse 8? And leaping up. What a sign, right? And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him. This is the first time this guy had ever been in the temple. He was lame from birth. The temple did not permit people with deformities of any sorts to be able to go into the temple That was the Old Testament custom, the New Testament custom, as Jesus said, hey, come on in. After this guy's healed, he goes into the temple probably for the very first time in his whole life. I love this this picture of this guy literally leaping up, no stretching, no slowly getting up, no timidly like seeing if his ankles worked. He was healed and just bam, he's leaping up. And all the people who saw that there was not a Jew that would not have recognized the healing of the layman as the fulfillment of a messianic promise. In Isaiah 35, verse 6, then, the, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. You see what Luke's doing is connecting the dots for us. The man leaped as fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. Isaiah 35 is this prophetic passage that describes what's going to happen in this world when God comes back to restore everything. And Peter is drawing the same connection in a sermon. It's the basis of everything he's saying. This is what the miracle means. He says in verse 21, speaking of Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Now, when Jesus came, he began to restore things that were broken, partially but not fully. In, in some pictures, but not, in, not, not, not just, you know, in, in, in completeness. You see this in Jesus, right? Because he's walking with the disciples and he's certainly human, fully, fully man, but fully God. And so many times Jesus would, every once in a while, he would pull, he'd roll up his sleeves and he would do something that would just astound them. 
like walking on water. They'd never seen anyone do that before, and neither have we. But Jesus walked on water, and it says the disciples of them were filled with awe. They were like, who is this man, right, that did this? Or they, they would see him speak to the storm. Who speaks to storms? But Jesus, and the storm, well, maybe a lot of people speak to storms. This time the storm listened to him, right, and completely stopped. And Peter points to a time that's coming. This is the forwardness of this miracle, a time that's coming when Jesus will return and he will restore all things about with, about with which God spoke by his mouth. The miracle was pointing forward to the fulfillment of Christ restoring all things. Glimpses of it now, yes. Fullness of it later, absolutely. This is the direction the world is certainly headed. Isaiah explained that God would send the Messiah to purchase the healing of the whole world. What does it say in Psalms and Isaiah 53? By his wounds that we would be healed. Through his work, all the pain of earth is going to be reversed. Again, we've got glimpses of it now, but certainly the fullness coming later. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 49 speaks to this as it's going to happen. It says, and the lion will lay down with the lamb and the infant will play near a cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest and it's gonna be okay. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and as the waters cover the sea. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame Leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy, and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. Look around you and see, for all your children will come back to you, and they will carry your little sons back to you on their arms, and they will bring your daughters on their shoulders. And again and again, we could see. If we had time to look through all the messianic prophecies, if we had time to go over to Revelation to see what this looks like, that this is certainly what's coming in fullness. Glimpses now, but fullness later. And that's what these miracles do. They point us to the heart of God. Does that mean that from now on, anyone who believes in Jesus will be healed? No. This healing was just a sign. There were lots of sick and lame people in Jerusalem that day. Probably many gathered even by that very gate and Peter healed only one of them. It was a sign of the fullness of restoration that was to come in the future. You see, not only did the apostles' miracles point upward, showing God's authentication of their message, it pointed forward to the kind of restoration that Jesus was going to bring to the whole world. This is not just a magic show that Jesus is trying to do through the church. Jesus was trying to show us the heart of God, that God hates suffering. God did not create the world full of pain or blindness or disease or death. That all came through the corruption of sin. Go look at the creation narrative as it happened. These miracles show us that God is no happier with the world as it is than you and I are. And we turn on the news or we get it on our news feed or on our phone. And maybe you're like me. I just want to avoid even seeing any of it because it makes my heart break. Because this world is so broken and so wrecked by sin. And most of its leaders are pointing to other things other than Jesus that's going to fix it. And there's nothing that's going to fix it. 
but Jesus. These miracles point us to the world as God created it to be. He wants it to be again. For those of you suffering with some sort of pain right now, this is your great hope, and prayerfully this is your sustaining joy, that the suffering you're walking in is only temporary. One day it's going to be made right. Maybe in this life and maybe not, but certainly in the life to come. These miracles point us upward. They point us forward. They also point us inward. They point us inward because we're all the lame beggar here. Are we not? They point us inward to our soul's need of salvation. Virtually every miracle story in the New Testament doesn't only point toward the final salvation we'll have at the end of time. It almost always points to the salvation that needs to happen in us here and now. The physical ailments of some point to the heart condition of all. Some people are physically blind, but Ephesians says that we're all spiritually blind. Our souls are lame and need to be brought back to life. The miracle is a message about the salvation that Jesus can bring to our souls. The lame guy here first asked for money, just like he did. That was his way of making a living. He just asked for money. But Peter in verse 6 says, silver and gold have I none. In other words, say what you're asking for me is good, but what I'm going to give you is so much better and so much deeper. Instead of giving him money, he gave him physical healing. And eventually in chapter 4, this guy becomes one of the disciples of Jesus, which is the greatest gift of all. As bad as suffering is, church, there is something worse, and that's being crippled by our sin. And as the great as this physical healing is, there's something greater than even that, and that is soul salvation. There's a parallel passage to this that you're probably familiar with, another healing story that Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in Luke chapter 5. Again, the symbolism of Jesus going out into the desert, being ministered to, being filled with the Spirit, going out into the desert, officially starting his ministry, and almost soon as he got back to ministry, this event happened. There's a paralyzed man that's brought to Jesus. You remember this? And Jesus walks over to him, and everybody's anxiously awaiting this great rabbi, and what's he going to do? He hasn't done much healing up to that point, and cast out a few demons maybe up to that time. And he walks over there, and Jesus says to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. As if that guy wanted his sins forgiven. Hey, listen, I didn't get my buddies to carry me here for my sins to be forgiven, I wanted to be able to walk. That's why I came, so that I would be able to walk. And Jesus gives him not only what he came for, but what he really needed. If Peter had said, well, I don't have any money and I can't physically heal you, but I can tell you that if you trust Jesus, that your sins will be forgiven and you'll have eternal life, you might think of that as much less moving and much less spectacular, but, but is it really? Isn't the salvation of the soul and the promise of full restoration in the future greater than any temporary miracle? Sure it is. I'll prove it to you. The guy sitting by the temple each day looking at everyone walking in and out probably thought, if I could just walk in there, I'd never be unhappy again. But is that true? 
No, the temple was full of people that had walked in there. They were walking around just as unhappy as the rest of them. The walking here, the healing of his limbs does not equate happiness. The guy would have walked for a month or so and realized that joy and satisfaction aren't in the physical realm. And this is kind of the sweet spot for us as a church that I want to really speak to and drill down on a little bit. We all have something that we think, if we can just get this, then it's going to bring satisfaction. If we can just get, man, if I could just get a little bit more money a month, just a little more money, I'd have a little bit, if I could just go on that dream vacation. If my kids just respected me, if my spouse just honored me, if my in-laws just understood me, if my boss would just appreciate me, if my, if my neighbors just weren't weirdos, like whatever it is, right? We have these things that it's just kind of right there out of our grasp. And we think, man, if I could just have this thing, we chase after it. And many times we get it to the neglect of the most important things in life. We get the thing and then it's so shiny and new and cool for about a month and then we're laying in bed one night saying what is going on here I thought if I just had the thing well maybe that wasn't the thing let me chase after this other thing we all have something that we think if we can just get it it's going to satisfy us but many other people have those very things and they're not satisfied this is the great lie hidden within the American dream and we've probably all fallen for it at some point I know I have If I just had this, I could be happy. Again, this is not a new concept. I feel like the two weapons that Satan uses, maybe more than anything else, especially in the West, are diversion and indifference. And he's paralyzed the church with it, even the church. Diversion and indifference. Diversion is this very thing we're talking about. It's focusing on the wrong thing. If we aren't careful, this is a form of pride and it's so sneaky, it'll creep up on us at all times if we're not careful, convincing us that if we just had this one thing, we would be happy. Or we do have that thing and so we have a false sense of security and happiness because we have this pseudo sense that we're gonna be okay because of this. We walk around like, I don't need God because I'm doing all right on my own. Just look at what I've got. This weapon of diversion, getting you and me to focus our life and our bank account and our aim and everything that we have, leveraging it for the wrong things. I've never been with someone on their deathbed who regretted giving it all for Christ, never. I can tell you I've been with people on their deathbed dozens of times. Tears rolling down their eyes. Not being able to speak loudly, motioning me to come close as I come close. They whisper of their regret. Of the diversion that they gave into and they focused most of their lives on things that really don't even matter. The other great weapon the enemy uses against us is indifference. If diversion is a focus on the wrong thing, indifference is a focus on nothing. We're just kind of moving through life. So one of those 
conveyor belt sidewalks at the airport. You ever been on those? You kind of just don't have to do much, you know. It just does it all for you. It's kind of nice, actually. You're just not even going to have to walk. Look at all these peasants over here walking. That is, that is so last century. I'm on this conveyor belt sidewalk, just kind of drifting through life. Church, if... If we're not careful, we're going to end up just in the same way. This indifference is going to grab to us. This is what the letter of Jesus to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3 speaks of. You're familiar with this, probably this idea of lukewarmness. It says in verse 15, I know your works. You're neither hot or cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm... Neither hot or cold, that I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. For I say to you, I mean, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Is that not speaking to us? Is that not speaking to our culture who claims to have this religion? And I go to church every week and I put some money in the thing and I'm really kind to people and I don't drink near as much as I used to and I I don't swear around the kids and the ladies and so I am a good person. And we've, we've we've put our ladder against the wrong tree. We're walking around with this apathy that has seized us. When you look at this early church, there's no such thing as apathy. There was this passion. They're praying even in the next chapter. God, do that again. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Heal these people. Let your kingdom come now as it is in heaven. They're praying with such passion and zeal. And I believe we've lost that. We ended last week's sermon with this appeal to us to pray. And man, my prayer for you this week is that you would would become infatuated with Jesus again. And you you would discipline yourself to pour yourself into prayer, asking God to do incredible things. And I don't know what your life's been like, but I know what my life is normally like. As I hear from God and I'm stirred on this emotional heart level and I'm engaged on this mental head level and I'm even moved to do something with my hands and my feet until Tuesday. It got me all jazzed up until Tuesday. See, we, we, we listen to our loves way more than we do our heads. What we love is what really drives us. What we become infatuated with is, is, what we, is what we spend our time and money and effort on. And my prayer for us today is against the spirit of indifference. We need something more than physical healing, something more than money, something more than great relationships. We need restoration to God. There's this story in the Old Testament. I think it's in Exodus 17. I was reading it this week. You remember the Israelites are fighting against the Amalekites, and this is, the, the, this is Moses with his hands up. You remember that? Every time Moses would go out there and he'd raise his hands up, the the the, the, the battle would turn in their favor and the Israelites would begin to win. And then Moses would take a little lunch break and Aaron and Hur, his 
companions would run over to Moses. You got to get back and get them hands up, man, because the Malachites are now, they're now winning. And there's this picture I get a couple weeks ago. We were one of these indoor water parks. And uh, my, uh, my Hudson uh, turns five tomorrow. And uh, he's in this little stage where, uh, where he's independent. He can do it himself. Maybe you've got kids like that. They're just, I, I can do it, Dad. I want to do it. So we're walking around this indoor water park, and I reach out for his hand, and he's quickly, like, grabbed it back to himself. It's like, Dad, you know, like, I'm good. It's crazy how your kids grow up, isn't it? Yesterday, <laughs> he was talking to Ashley, and he said something like, speaking of, and then <laughs> introduced something new. Like, what are you, speaking of? grabbed his hand back he wanted to do it himself and so we're in this pool well this pool turns into a wave pool i don't know if hudson was ready for that and that first wave came up and you know the first thing he did he reverted to a little two-year-old he just hands up dad needs some help and quickly i grabbed the little man up and held him tight and he grabbed so tight to my neck i'm losing breath when i read when i read that this week of of moses that's that's the posture that I, that I couldn't get out of my head of Moses with his hands up in, in surrender. This Moses with his hands up saying, God, we can't do it without you. It's the opposite of indifference. And most of us, if we're honest, we don't live that life. We've, we've got bank accounts and we've got educations and degrees. And we've got plan B and C and D. And I'm not saying it's bad to have plans but I think the picture that we see is there's a big difference between this, hands up and surrender, dependence on God. God, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. God, if you don't do this, this is just not going to work. There's a big difference between this and this. Hands down at your side is this attitude of indifference saying, God, I got this. Thank you for the help before. I finally, I learned to walk by myself. I think I can do this on my own. And we've bought the lie of our culture of indifference. Listen, the point of this is that we're all the broken beggars. We all leave a stained trail of brokenness behind us. Look at it in your marriage. Look at it in your kids. Look at it when you're pressured. We all just leave this stained trail of brokenness. And that is what Jesus has come to redeem. And I would say to us, church, the ability to physically heal, I might not always have or ever have, but such as I have, I give you, and that is an invitation to trust Jesus Christ as your only hope. Forgiveness of sin, to have peace and intimacy and friendship with God and inheritance incorruptible, which can never be taken away. That's what I invite you to take a part of. Is that not the greatest gift of all? To live a life of surrender and submission. Finally, the fourth direction, just to wrap it up, is outward. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. The scars in your life that Jesus has healed in the past, he wants to use that as your anthem in the future that God heals. 
that God restores. He restores, his, he restores marriages. He answers prayers. He overcomes addictions. He realigns your heart. He sharpens your focus on the right thing. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. And what Jesus told the demoniac is, He's healed of all of these demons. He said, I don't want you to go back to your home and tell what's happened to you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. I think sometimes we look at Peter and John and we think, man, that's incredible. We forget Ephesians tell us that God has created you unto good works for, for very specific things. There's specific pockets of darkness in this world, in this city, around your home that God has placed you to light up, and only you. You're there to be the kingdom of God to these people. He's placed you there for that very thing. As you read through the 20-something individuals healed by Jesus or the dozen or so in the book of Acts, over and over it says that they left glorifying God. The paralyzed man in Luke 5, the disfigured woman in Luke 13, the blind man in John 9, the demoniac in Luke 8, again and again their physical healing led to them testifying about the greatness of God. The result of their suffering and healing by Jesus was that they pointed other people to Jesus. Now some of you may have experienced physical healing. More of you have experienced a greater healing. That's the forgiveness of sins and a changed identity. And God wants to do it again. He wants to do it through you. Can I ask you something, church? Would you allow yourself to be used by God? To listen, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Peter had passed this guy a hundred times, probably thousands of times, and not healed him any other time. Because he was walking in the power of the Spirit and listening to the promptings of the Spirit, the Spirit said, now's the time. How many times have we missed what God wanted to do because we were just walking to the beat of our own drum? Between diversion and indifference, we're not even hearing the promptings of the Spirit of God. I love this here. I'll end with this. I love in his sermon, he says in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Don't you love that? I really believe some of you in here are just miserable. And you might be believing the right things, but you're miserable because you've not been in the presence of God. You've not experienced this time of refreshing and Jesus' call to you is to say, hey, buddy, you just got to get your hands up. And if that means I got to send the waves of life at you so that it scares you into a place to where you realize you can't do it on your own, but you got to get your hands up. We got to live in this posture of dependency on, of, on God and what God wants to do. Can you imagine what this world would look like if this church, if our little church, if every one of us lived in such a way where we've positioned ourselves against the very darkness that's ahead of us, but that's not scary to us because we live with our hands up. We live by, by like the early church is saying, God, what are you going to do? 
This expectation and awe and dependency on God and this desire to see God move in an incredible way. So much so that the coward who is Peter stands up to these people who would eventually kill him and says, you know what, you killed the author of life. But Christ came to redeem you. And it said thousands of them turned from death to life that day. I wonder if there's anybody even in this room that would, in the stillness of this moment, you hear God calling you to take a step of faith. Some of you, it's from death into life. You've been playing religious games. Maybe somebody invited you here. You didn't even know what you were coming to. You were just hoping I didn't preach on giving today. Well, I didn't. Maybe others of you, man, your heart is just like the desert. You've not felt the refreshing presence of God in a long time. and He's calling you to take a step of faith and trust him today. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to take communion. During the season of Lent, we take a silent communion. I just want you to focus on all that God has done for you through Christ and all he's calling you to do in response to that. And you don't have to be a member here to participate, but Scripture says you have to be a believer, part of the church of Jesus, and desiring to walk in obedience to him. And there's going to be some people standing in the back. Some of our staff are going to be standing back there. Some of the pastors, maybe community group leaders. If you just want to grab someone by the hand and just pray, I'd love to intercede with you on behalf of whatever you're crying out to God for. Maybe it's for renewed passion for his kingdom or whatever it is. Let me pray for us. Communion servers are going to come, and you just come when you're ready. Lord, would you give me the posture of Moses? A full surrender? Lord, would you give our church that posture? We don't walk out here so proud and arrogant to think that we're where we are by our own effort or cunning or wisdom or degrees or discipline. Lord, without you, we admit we are nothing. And Lord, by grace, through faith, because of your love and kindness, that's, we've become part of your family. And God, I pray even now through your kindness that you would lead us to repentance of the small, inconsequential things that we've been chasing after, then we would return our focus to the main thing of leveraging our life, all of our life, in full dependency on you. And God, I pray that you would do some things that we can't explain. Even in our midst, even in those who are sick, even today, that are struggling with something, God, in a supernatural way that you would heal. I believe you can do that. But the greatest miracle we're crying out for, God, is a changed heart. Or that people would cross a line of faith today from death into life, that others would cross a, take a step of faith out of apathy into engagement or out of indifference into passionate pursuit of you. Lord, we see what you did in Acts and we pray, Father, you would do it again. 
will remind us of our identity as sons and daughters as we participate in communion. Be here with us in a special way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You come when you're ready.